This podcast is brought to you by sarahraven.com, which is home to everything you need for a truly beautiful and productive garden. You'll also find great and essential gardening kit and stylish, lovely things to have in your house to bring the outside indoors, all inspired by the garden and the house being tied together. There's also plenty of garden inspiration, how-to videos and specialist growing guides. So head over to sarahraven.com today to discover even more. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and different guests week by week. And this week, I'm really excited to be joined by Blanche Vaughan, who is somebody who I feel is completely compatible to all the listeners of the podcast because she absolutely loves garden-based food. So she's a chef and a cookery writer, and she's got a new book out next week, literally, called A Year in the Kitchen, and it's seasonal recipes for everyday pleasure. And I was lucky enough to be sent this book a couple of months ago when it was in proof. And I do, I have to admit, get sent a lot of books and some of them just sit on the kitchen table for a while and I don't get to them. But I started flicking through, flicking through Blanche's book and it was just so the food that I wanted to eat at that very moment. It was simple but stylish. It was seasonal. It just ticked absolutely all my boxes. And I knew that I would love the person that had written them and that we'd come from a similar sort of ilk. Welcome, Blanche. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. It's lovely to join you. Will you explain to all the listeners a bit about how you came to food, what sort of food you like, your sort of chef background? So let's start with that. Well, I knew right from when I left school that I wanted to cook in some way. And um, without sort of going through all the boring bits, I found my way into Alistair Little's kitchen in Soho, where I did a few shifts to um, to really see what a restaurant kitchen was like. And I'd always really admired his food and his cooking. And it was it was a wonderful shock of an experience. I only did a few days there. They were really nice to me. And I saw how much I really had to learn. So I went off and took myself for a year's course at Leeds just to sort of brush up on some technical skills and following that I I decided I really wanted to go and work at a restaurant called Morrow which is in Clerkenwell so in those days in order to get a job in a restaurant you you went and worked for a week for free and they sort of you know sized you up so I did that and at the end of the week they offered me a job and I worked there for a couple of years working on all the different sections and what I mean, apart from the fact that the food there is is really delicious, it really inspired me about spices, Eastern Mediterranean cooking. I used to go to Morocco in my holidays just to experience, you know, to try and find this food that they'd been teaching me about. And also, we cooked mainly over fire, so we cooked over a charcoal grill, and then they had a wood oven, and they just had one cooker. 
for the whole restaurant. So it was an extraordinary experience. Incredible. And from there, uh, the position was becoming a bit too sort of managerial because um, I'd sort of gone up through the ranks, as it were, and I wanted to learn more. And so Sam and Sam said to me, you must go to the River Cafe. So off I went doing another week for free. Yeah. Um, and it was quite hard to get into the River Cafe in those days. I mean, it probably is still now. Yes. But um, anyway, they offered me a job at the end and um, and off I went. And Fabulous. that was absolutely game changing in terms of experiencing the quality of ingredients that they were able to source and in those days mm. I mean it wasn't it wasn't sort of so many years ago but the the sort of quality of the ingredients that they were able to access weren't necessarily available in shops and I think that's what really set it apart and it was everything from you know stuff coming from Italy but they had this guy called Adrian Barron who had a a farm in um, Suffolk and he used to turn up with the boxes of goods that he'd grown and they had we were able to take a lot of care with them you know it wasn't a sort of rushy busy shouty kitchen it was about really focusing on and appreciating the product that we were dealing with so that was a wonderful wonderful experience after a few years there, I decided I wanted to, you know, learn some completely different things. And I'd been offered a job at St. John restaurant. But I was taking the summer off and Rose Gray, the late Rose Gray, who was, you know, wonderful and, and a great one of my great culinary mentors, said to me, you must go and spend the summer at Chez Panisse. So she called up Alice and arranged for me to go and spend the summer cooking in the downstairs restaurant at Chez Panisse. And that was unbelievable. I don't know if you've ever eaten there or you probably know Alice. But... Do you know I haven't, but I know Alice a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I've never been to the West Coast of America. It was extraordinary. I mean, if I thought the River Cafe was careful at Chez Panisse, they were so devoted to the the produce, the ingredients, the you know the the knowing the name of the farmer that the things were grown by. Mm. Um, and because I was sort of, um, well, first of all, the restaurant was only open in the evening, so we used to go in at, at about noon and start prepping for the evening. So Alice arranged for me to some mornings or on my days off actually go to the farms that were producing the food for them, meet the farmers and talk to them. And I sort of really felt like I'd come home. You know, this just, it was Um, exactly what I loved about food and cooking. So it was a, it was a really great, wonderful experience. And then I returned to London and, and worked at St. John, which was, which was a fascinating and, and, you know, and I learned so much about meat and meat cookery and, and, and also British food, which was, you know, important. God, you've really trod the tiles, yeah. really <laughs> trod the tiles of, of fantastic restaurants. So then how did that lead on to sort of more like recipe writing rather than chefing? So unfortunately, whilst working at St. John, 
and I think I think really the the, the sort of culinary path had taken its toll on my body and, and hauling kind of huge stock pots around and and great carcasses <laughs> over my shoulder. Yeah. I had I had a really bad back injury and had to have an operation. And right. it, you know they just said, look, you're going to be no good in the kitchen, not at that sort of physical level. So I started doing a bit of writing and actually it was Alan Jenkins, who who is editor of the Observer Food Monthly, who very sweetly, I, I was introduced to him and he very sweetly said, do you want to start writing an allotment blog or, or, or adding to the existing allotment blog on the Guardian website? And um and, you know, talking about food that's food that you're growing and the way that you're cooking with it. and. I didn't actually technically have an allotment, but my mother had a great vegetable garden in Herefordshire. So I'd go and stay with her and see what was growing in her garden, pick it, cook with it and write a recipe about it. And it was a really wonderful experience. And we had I had such a great time doing it. And it gave me a sort of freedom to, you know, just Mm. not follow a recipe, not follow something that was on a menu that I had to recreate so it gave creative freedom which I loved and and I'm very grateful to Alan for allowing me to do that and as a result a publisher got in touch with me and said would you like to supplement some recipes in this book the Great British Food Revival so that's really how I sort of got going and it went on from there. Fantastic so this is your sixth or seventh book uh, a year in the kitchen, isn't it? It is. Yes. I mean, that's incredible. And and tell us a little bit about your garden now and where you pick the veg before we move on, of course, to the all important thing, which is the recipes. So my home really now is in is in Devon, on the edge of Dartmoor. Quite a difficult climate for growing, but still, I mean, it, everything works. It just sort of seems to come a month later here, and. One of the first things I did, it was a, it, when, when I married my husband, it was a house that, that was his already. And one of the first things I did was to create a vegetable garden. It's not very big and it's, um, you know, we have a lot of sort of deer and rabbits, but it's basically was where the, the sort of foundation walls of a Nissan hut used to be. So it sort of starts with this. <laughs> it's got a kind of waist height wall going around the edge of it, which is fantastic to sort of stop the stop the things coming to eat. Yeah, great. Um, anyway, I grow quite a lot, but not too much because I want to be able to eat it all. Um, this year I've had some wonderful mm. French beans, deep sort of purple black. Um, I'm growing borlotti. My courgettes have been wonderful. The squash, which I'm growing on my compost windrow, are going berserk. I feel like they might sort of take over the world. I've got artichokes. I've got lots of salad leaves, tons and tons of herbs. I've got a tiny little greenhouse, which is stuffed full of tomatoes and basil. That's all I've got in there at the moment. Yeah, Um, great. Very sensible. Anyway, lots of bits and pieces. But what I cook and eat with down here is we are really lucky that we have. Do you do you know what I mean by community farms? Yes. CSA. So we have a CSA which is sort of half a mile down the road, not even, 
And every week I get the most fabulous box of things that they've grown, which is, is picked the day that I receive it. And that really sort of uh, inspires a lot of what I'm cooking with. Fantastic. So why don't we move now on to some recipes from the book? And it's a beautiful book, everyone. It's It's got kale and chard on the front. And it feels like such a lovely thing to have kind of in your hand. It's just, it's really, really handsome. And the photography in it is incredibly beautiful. Have you worked a lot with the photographer? Yes. I mean, I was on every shoot, basically. Um, And there's a a selection of different photographers. And there have been some wonderful food and prop stylists. I I prop styled some of the shoots as well. What feels so nice about this book is it's a sort of, it's a collaboration of so many talents. You know, the photographers, the food stylists, the prop stylists. And I've also included recipes from some of the chefs and cooks that I've commissioned for House and Garden. Yes. So there were lots I saw from Sally Clark, for instance. Yes. And Michael Yeowood, you, you talk about Yeard, a lot as well. Exactly. The late William. Sorry, William. William Yeard. and yeah. really Lee. And I mean, there's a... There's a they're scattered throughout because I find that I mean I don't know if you find this but cooking cooking is so much about you know other people and and learning from other people and getting ideas yeah Yeah, it's a community totally it's a community creative community yeah so will you talk us through the first of the recipes that you highlighted so this is something that's dear to my heart because I'm a absolute Helenophile. As I know you, you love Greece too. But will you talk about the summer greens and soft cheese pie? Because I love making that. And I'm going to make your version and see sort of how it differs. But will you chat us through that one? Well, thank you. I'm glad you like that choice. And as you know, I couldn't possibly call it a spanakopita because that would be you know yeah. appropriating something that I had no right to do because they make it so well there but it was really inspired and I've I go to Greece enough to have, have tried these delicious pies made by so many different people but this what I like about this and uh, and and I think you know when one grows vegetables you often need to find ways to use things that you might have a lot of or you might have not enough of to make one recipe. So I like putting different things in here. So, for instance, at the moment, I've got some chard growing. I've got some beetroot growing. So I'll use the leaves from those. You know, if one has any. Yes, the leaves. Yeah. And I and I really like that. So you sort of you get this lovely sort of variety of flavors and textures just in the greens and I mentioned using some English made cheeses whether it's that that medita that that feta that's made in or feta style cheese that's made in um, Sussex and it's a really lovely vegetarian filling pie that actually you could take on a picnic as well I think would be quite nice and it's got that lovely crispy top from the from the filo. Yes, absolutely. It's a classic. I adore it. And I mean, I noticed that you put oregano in it, which of course is very authentically Greek. So I guess, you know, anyway, it's a it's a wonderful recipe. And then maybe on the side, perhaps, or as part of a big table, 
I also love your whole roast cauliflower recipe. So will you just chat us through that one quickly? Yes. So sometimes we end up getting cauliflower quite a lot in our veg box. And um, and so I started to get a bit creative with um, ways to cook it. And this idea, which, you know, obviously it wasn't come up with by me, but people started doing in restaurants and things where you cook the cauliflower whole, I think is such fun because it creates a sort of a sort of showpiece at the table. And, you know, if you just serve people some florets of cauliflower with a sauce on, it wouldn't look anything like this. It's nice and easy to make. I love that sort of tahini with a bit of sweetness and a bit of acidity from the vinegar. And I'm crazy about roasting chickpeas in the oven so they go mm. kind of crispy and creamy inside. Yeah. The texturally, that's really nice. And, you know, if you've got some pomegranates because it's, you know, coming into autumn they're often around and so you can scatter those seeds on top for a little sort of burst of sweetness loads of herbs and you bring it to the table on a dish you know doused in this delicious sauce and everyone can just sort of put their spoon in and scoop out a portion and I and I really like that experience at the table I like that sort of serving yourself from the middle of the table yes type eating and you talk a lot about that in the introduction actually about the importance of how food looks and, and and the importance of the of the bowls and the plates and things and I I so agree with that. I mean I come from a background where that wasn't thought to be important and you know I don't like presenting food to be fussy with too many sort of bits of embellishment on the side of the plate. But I I love it to be kind of gutsy and beautiful and colourful. And I love that that really um, sings out from the pages of your book and in the introduction too. And will you also, to go with this, perhaps as part of this sort of late summer, early autumn uh, feast, will you talk us through your poached chicken with the vegetables and, and the garlic, the aioli? Yes. So I love poaching a chicken because I feel that you get about three meals out of it rather than one. So you have this beautiful broth yeah. and, and making a chicken broth is a lovely way to then use the peelings and things from the vegetables that you're going to cook with the dish. It's a really, it's a, uh, it's an all inclusive sort of dish. And again, you can be a bit, you know, you can have flexibility with the vegetables so you can see what you've got around, what looks nice. And you infuse them with this extra sort of umami chickeny flavor by poaching them in the broth which is so nice the aioli is fantastic because it gives it that sort of punchy kick but obviously if you're not crazy on garlic you can um, you can omit it but with this one i i poach the garlic in with the chicken so it softens it so you don't get that sort of raw garlicky flavor which lingers yeah. around Sharpness. which i think works quite well yeah. and again you know this is this is the sort of food that doesn't have to come to the table piping hot, which I think can be quite nice in, in an eating outdoors environment. Because, of course, you know, as soon as you get it out onto that table in the garden, it's cooled down a lot. So I think it's important to think about that. And it's a lovely sort of serve yourself, go back for more. It's not plated or fussy and it's colourful. Yeah. 
Lovely, lovely, lovely. And so then moving towards uh, pudding, well, there are two absolute classics that, again, I'm longing to make at this time of year, one with blueberries or blackberries, um, it could be, and one with figs. So let's finish with you uh, talking us through the choice of two desserts or puddings. So the, the fig and walnut tart is, I mean, my sort of fallback pudding is a galette. And that's actually something that I really learned about at Chez Panisse. Alice Waters makes the best galettes. So you have a mm. sort of slightly flaky pastry. And I try and always keep a block of this in my freezer or fridge so that I can just whip it out and, and make a galette without having to have thought too much in advance. And you roll it out flat so it's free form. So you don't even need to have a tart case. And... I like to use some kind of nut-type frangipan that's spread over the pastry. So, you know, this could be almonds. I like the figs with walnuts because I think they go really well together. You could do, you know, hazelnuts and pears. You know, it sort of depends on on what you fancy. But, and then the figs spread out over the top and they caramelize in the oven. You do this glaze, which if you have a fig leaf, I mean, I'm obsessed with fig leaves and that exotic flavour that's like it's they're slightly sort of coconutty, which you can infuse into your into your honey glaze. And then the apple and, and blueberry or blackberry, if you can get your hands on some lovely wild blackberry cobbler, is we've got loads of apple trees here. So I'm always trying to think up things to do with our apples. And what I like about this is it's it's not sort of trying to make a fussy tart. You make this delicious scone dough and you cover it with these scones and then you have leftover scones if you want them for another time. So it's sort of, it's got all the the gooey ooziness of the inside of the pie, but the whole thing's a lot easier to make. Yeah. And I mean, I hope everyone knows what a cobbler is. It's basically... It's like a sort of much simpler crumble in a way and much uh, lighter. And so you just have almost like your fruit base and then over it, these lovely sort of dumplings of cobbler. It looks wonderful and more textured. The thing about crumble, which I adore, but it does tend to have quite a flat sort of monochrome top and a cobbler is somehow more glamorous and, and wonderful and you can see the fruit It oozing. bubbles through, yeah. It bubbles through the gaps, which I love. Yeah, it looks like a sort of a wonderful kind of, I don't know, lime plaster wall with all those different pigments. I always think they look so lovely when they come to the table. Oh, Blanche, it's so nice to talk to you. Uh, sorry, the last thing I was going to say is what I love slipping in with fruit is a bay leaf. I think that ah, just yeah. brings out that just that extra layer of flavour and it really can sort of, it can elevate something in a rather sort of exotic way, simply. Fantastic. Yes. Oh, that's so, because I remember um, being uh, talking to a French chef and they said that they always use thyme with apricots and, you know, that we, we're quite conservative about using sort of more traditionally savory herbs with, with fruit. And he was all for encouraging me for, do, for doing that. So that's a great idea to have bay. Yeah. Lovely. Well, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this just it is the food you want to eat, isn't it? it? It's just if particularly if you grow fruit and vegetables and you just want a new 
a new inspiration, a sort of reset and a restart on new recipes. I couldn't more passionately recommend this book. It's um, the right combination of really well-researched and backgrounded chef stuff, but with a really homely feel. And that's why I'm about to go on holiday, actually. And much as my husband is already chucking things out of the car as I pack it, this is going to be slotted in right under the driver's seat so he won't find it to be able to take it out again. Because <laughs> I want I want to have it with me on the west coast of Scotland where we have lots of incredibly delicious fresh vegetables. And so I'll be turning to the year or a year in the kitchen again and again and again. I know I will. So thank you so much, Blanche, for joining us. And um and I hope you'll come back again soon. Thank you so much, Sarah. I've really enjoyed it. And I'm flattered that you're going to squeeze my book into your small holiday packing. <laughs> I am. I am. Lovely to talk. Bye. I hope you enjoyed Grow Cookie to Range with Blanche Vaughan and her talking about her lovely new recipes. And next week, I'm joined by our Head of Horticulture, Tom Stimpson, who is joining us for the first time. And he's going to talk about the perennial pots that he grows in his own garden. He has a small garden in the centre of Ely, so it's an urban garden. And he really loves particularly perennial pots with a few annual enhancers. So we're going to be chatting about exactly those next week. So see you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.